becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the is a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the song, glimmer, glimmer of the ship being seen. Michael was that. That was Michael like, enters his rap stage. I know. You actually had some riz- rhythm. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> What's up? What's up? Bringing the shores. Welcome to the shores. Welcome to the shores. Bringing it and welcoming it. Bring it in. Mm-hmm. Man. I like that. Yeah. What's up? What are we going to get into? I don't know. You got. You brought a book. You brought some topics. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of feel like uh, we're we're in a season of like rapid fire ideas. Like, uh, we've kind of been on that narrative, you know, yeah, for a long time, for a long time. And it, it keeps kind of rapid and there's all that stuff that kind of comes in. But, uh, uh, there's something interesting. Like whenever you, you start learning something new, it's like you have, uh, you have this period where it's all sort of all jumbled in your head and you kind of have mm-hmm. to like start, just kind of spitting it out there the, the way that you can actually say it. Like we were talking about something earlier today. Uh, and it's like, I couldn't formulate what I was trying to say. And I, I just kind of kept like saying like half sentences and uh-huh. stuff like that. I was well, like, I feel like <laughs> this is something you and I have said to each other quite a bit recently, which is mm-hmm. like, like I feel like I've learned something or I understand something new mm-hmm. and I don't have the words for it yet. Yeah. Like I have the, the, the awareness of it, mm-hmm. the feeling, the shape, the size, the texture, but I can't quite articulate it yet. Yeah. Or something just, it doesn't feel right. Like something like about this or that, it's like, that doesn't, there's something not right about that. Well, maybe because you're trying to use, um, like to put words to it, you have to use sort of words and analogies that work for other things, but they don't work for the new thing because the new thing's new. Yeah. So you try to describe it, what it is, but you're using you're using a, a, the wrong model. Mm-hmm. You know, you're using a, the only model you know, which is comes from the known, mm-hmm. to describe something that's new and it doesn't fit. And so you say it, and it's like it's not it. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out how it doesn't fit and figure out how to articulate the places where the the newness is yeah. and formulate a new model. I mean, you can put this in like sort of conscious and unconscious kind of ideas. It's like you you have this awareness, you're conscious, but then there's things that are kind of like sitting underneath there that you don't even know that are kind of either buried in there mm-hmm. or conflicted or you haven't been ready to deal with those things yet. So, totally. Uh, you don't have the experience to really... Um, yeah, I mean, it's like a kid. It's like you you have uh, you only have a vocabulary of five hundred words, you know, <laughs> right. maybe two hundred. Right. Useful using ones, and then it doesn't matter how smart you are. You're not going to be able to mm-hmm. do anything with it. Which I think is a great thing about art is like you have that you can kind of go beyond uh, explanation or words, mm-hmm. and that sometimes helps you to formulate. Uh, you know, you look, you look at a painting or you hear a song, and it makes you feel some way, and you struggle through it or cry or, or it makes you angry. And then the question comes is like, why, right? Why do I feel this way? Yeah. I feel like art can often be the first contact contact we have mm-hmm. like with new ideas mm-hmm. or feelings that we haven't, um, been able to interface with. It's like first contact with that. Mm-hmm. I was recently, you know, your iPhone will like surface featured photos and stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. This like picture came up, um, 
that I was looking at and my, it was of me and my kids. And like my first reaction to it was like, Oh, that's a sweet picture. And then I had this like pang of pain hmm. and I was like, Whoa, what is that? Where did that come from? That oh, was unexpected. And I didn't, you know, it's like, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I had to really sit there and think about it. Just look at the picture and think, what is, what is this information that's coming to me? That's making me feel this way. Yeah. Can you share it or is it kind of like more personal? I think all, yeah, that one's kind of personal. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah that's fascinating though. It's like, uh, you know, even like, like I have no memories of high school really, you know? And it's like occasionally I kind of, I kind of have this like over like, glossy overview of high school and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's like, <clears throat> even when I try to sit and think about it, I can't really capture mm. anything, you know, it's like, well, now I'm thinking about it. I can think of a couple of moments, but it's like, but again, it's like you have to sit and like, yeah, allow things to surface. And, uh, it's almost maybe like the idea of with meditation is just not allowing like all the things that are coming into your brain is just to keep, discarding them and discarding them until you kind of calm down into a space where you can maybe sense or feel some things that you don't, you don't know is there, you know, it gets past the immediate, um, surface, surface things, you know, like a lot of things we'll have, you know, you know, business or family. And Hmm. it's like, which are all good and things you need to think about, you know, it's like, but then, kind of like, well, what's underneath that, you know, and just kind of allow some of those things to, um, kind of not burn off, but kind of just set them aside for a second. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't have to really deal with this right now. Right. Maybe there's something else there. Well, it occurs to me that like one way to kind of look for opportunities to do that. I mean, maybe meditation is a great one. Mm-hmm. It's not something I've done a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, other than sort of like, I think I do meditative activities in my life, such mm-hmm. as like yoga and walking, um, most music, days yeah. in music, that's somewhat mm-hmm. meditative. Um, but sort of like the concept of sitting down, I don't know, crossing my legs and <laughs> closing my eyes. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, but one way to access that I think is like to pay attention to yourself when you say things, hmm. you know, so someone asks you, Hey, how do you, how do you feel about this? Yeah. And you're like, I feel good about it. And oftentimes you, oh, you do feel good about it, but there will be something inside of you that'll be like, uh, mm. you know, are yeah. you, you sure? <laughs> sure. That's how you do it. Uh, and often I think for, um, expediency, we just sort of ignore that little twinge of something, mm-hmm. something that doesn't quite fit. It's like, that wasn't completely true. Yeah. Um, it might've been functionally true for the response that was needed, yeah. but there was something in it that was fighting you and like to take the time to identify, like to, to, to recognize that and say, okay, I really need to consider what's, what's not being spoken here. You know, hmm. think what, what is that? <clears throat> what is underneath this? I wonder if, well, okay. So I just went two different directions on that one. One was religion and the other was like, uh, sort of like the, Evolutionary, like how much more, especially in the West, that you, we have time to consider and to think. You know, you see that yeah, too. It's yeah. like, you know, uh, the philosophical schools that kind of came up with Plato and Aristotle and the Stoics and um, Greek and Roman culture, <clears throat> and even Egyptian and some of those other cultures. It seemed like there's, it's like, 
the immediate needs of, you know, food and shelter and protection. It's like more of our basic animal aspects. And then, you know, it's like, as those are met, it's like, <clears throat> then we have to start dealing with these other things. And, okay. <clears throat> so the, the, here, here's something. I don't, I don't know where this is going to go, but, um, we never do. That's what's exciting about it. <laughs> That's why it's the shores <laughs> of ignorance. Uh, it's like this idea of like, you know, we are animals and we have these sort of instincts and basic needs and, you know, reproduction and, 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 and some, uh, shelter protection, you know, and then as we start, as those needs are just kind of met, it's like, we're kind of faced with almost the, the sort of an existential dilemma mm. at that point, or yeah. it starts to show itself. And, you know, you see like how religion kind of helped, helped with that sort of existential, um, aspect as we became more, uh, as our needs are being met more on a base level, you know, and I'm not even talking about just modern needs. I'm talking about, you know, everything from, you know, functioning societies, maybe even just tribes in general, you know, it's like you have sort of like, a a protection and family and, and around you, you know? And so like, it's like, what do we do with those existential aspects that we might not be comfortable with or not, may not understand. And you can see like how religion has helped us kind of deal with those things. You know, it's like Mm. you project it outside yourself. You know, you have a myth, you have a story to sort of help you deal with that and walk through that, you know? Yeah. I mean, then the other side of that too is, are we, is, is that whole aspect of us, grasping something that is true and it is, is substance outside of just the myth of it, you know, um, as far as, you know, uh, it could be like, you know, is there a God or what is this consciousness or, uh, uh, I, I have this feeling that I'm, a, I'm inhabiting this body, you know, hmm. um, th- there's all these things that, that sort of like helps us to, deal with and put a framework around. So So let me, let me try to repeat some of that back to you Mm -hmm. to see if I'm following your Mm -hmm. point. So there's this idea that as civilization progresses, we have more and more time to sort of deal with, well, things like that. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I said something, there was something slightly untrue about it. And let me sit down and and consider that and ponder that. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can only, even like recount that process and do that process because I'm not spending a hundred percent of my time awake figuring out how to, how to eat mm-hmm. and religion perhaps evolved as a, a way to externalize all of that mm-hmm. so that you could be, you could take care of your physical survival needs and sort of outsource some of that other let's maybe let's say self-reflection for lack of a better term at the moment mm-hmm. into a religious myth or, mm-hmm. um, a structure yeah. like that. And, and, you know, maybe that's kind of part of the reason that we, you know, that religion evolved into institutions that had protected buildings, which housed people whose full-time job it was to interface with that mm. and then teach it because mm. the people who, 
came, it's like they didn't have time to do all of that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I was thinking about yeah, uh, priesthood or, or yeah, or cla- yeah, that's interesting. Or yeah. even monks, monks, mm-hmm. or like um, you think about uh, it's like in the Brothers Karamazov, the um, the sort of main monk that Alyosha is mentored by. Mm-hmm. It's like they're all sequestered in this monastery and you know, eating very little, doing very little other than reading, studying, and speaking with people who come to see them. Mm-hmm. Whereas everyone else out in the real world is busy with the business of life. It's really an interesting point. That is fascinating. I mean, that sort of kind of comes back to a lot of that doing and thinking thing that we were talking about earlier, but I don't think that's where we want to go. Hmm. Um, well, let me make... Just one side point. Okay. I, I was listening to this interview with Yanmi Park, mm. who is, um, how old is she? Let's see. I think she said she's born in 93, which would make her 28. Um, and up until she was, I think, 12 or 13, she lived in North Korea and escaped into China, into uh, sex slavery. Uh, because that was an improvement in her life, <laughs> you know, and then had to escape that. Um, her story is really uh, un- honestly unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But one thing she was talking about is that when she was living in North Korea, um, the conditions are so terrible. Like the majority of the country doesn't have electricity um, and they don't have food. They were basically, she was basically starving um, and she was just talking about how the, the government there is set up in such a way where like she sort of compares it to 1984 with this idea of um, it's very Orwellian. It's, it's, mm. There's a lot of doublespeak and newspeak. And she said that there were words that they didn't even have in their language, such as the word I. Like there was no concept of individualism. Yeah. They also didn't have the, the word love. There was no concept of loving someone mm-hmm. or... Uh, any sort of like romance at all. But she makes the point, she makes this statement at some point in this interview where she says, cause now she lives in America and she says, if you think that you're oppressed, then you are not oppressed. Hmm. Real oppression is being oppressed and not even knowing you're being oppressed. Hmm. That's how total the oppression was. She was like, I didn't know that there was any other alternative to life. I thought that the life I was living was a blessing Hmm. because I had no idea what it, that there was a concept of not having to eat grasshoppers because I hadn't eaten in three days or whatever. Yeah. So I guess I say that all back to this idea that, you know, it really is something that we have gotten to a point where we can spend time being self-reflective and philosophical and we have sort of the the great civilizations of the west that have pulled a lot of humanity out of abject poverty and war and mm-hmm. um, into a space where we can have the luxury to think yeah that's really astounding to me it is. Or have a podcast. Or have a podcast, right. <laughs> to drink whiskey. <laughs> drink whiskey, exactly. No, it's, it's, it is fascinating, like, in how much we kind of take that for granted. And 
I think there is also sort of a, um, I want to say slothfulness <laughs> that comes with, you know, that being outside of your immediate needs being met, you know, um, cause also there's a word that I was hearing a lot just recently and it's sustainable. And I was like, I, I, it was, it was really bothering me. Like, what does that mean? Sustainable? Like a, what definition are you defining sustainability? Like I'm sure that lady, what was her name? Yanmi Park. Yanmi Park probably had a different, different idea of like what is sustainable, you know, as mm-hmm. far as like to have a life and be happy, you know, it's like she's coming from a perspective that basically had nothing, you know, mm-hmm. like no rights, no idea of I love mm-hmm. and then being in, you know, sex trafficking and thinking that's a better life, mm-hmm. you know, that's, and where we would like, no, whoa, that's crazy. You know, yeah. it's like, um, it, it's, it's unimaginable. Mm-hmm. I think from our position, anyone in the West's position, you can't imagine that. Yeah. It's a horrific story, but like we were talking earlier about what it means to actually know something mm-hmm. like reading about it doesn't do it. Theorizing about it doesn't do it. Imagining it doesn't do it. It's like to know someone or something, you have to go do the thing. You have to be with the person yeah, to know them, to know it, you know. Do you think it's because we, it's, it's all about what you have to compare to? So like here in the U.S., like we would say like, oh, those people, rich people or whatever it might be, you kind of paint these pictures of like, I don't have that. Therefore, I'm a victim or oppressed or, or whatever it might be because I don't have something that somebody is more entitled to or privileged, you know, Mm -hmm. like, does that argument break down at some point? Like, is there like a precipice where like you, you know, even like the, again, this is arbitrary. I don't, I don't, uh, from what I understand, I think even Jonathan Haidt might've talked about this, but like, you know, after 50,000 to 80,000, it's like happiness levels, you know, don't really. Right. And again, don't, don't quote me on the numbers on that, but at some point there's a sort of like the happiness level kind of, uh, plateaus plateaus. Yeah. And you're talking about in terms of, uh, like money improves people's situation Mm -hmm. and their relative happiness up to a point up to a point. Yeah. 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 Everyone would be like, Oh, but if I had a million dollars, I'd be super happy, you know? Yeah. Right. But, but you don't know that, you know, (laughs) you don't, you don't know. Mm Mm-mm. And because you have to do things in order to know what they are. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, <clears throat> uh, Heather Hying was making this point on the Dark Horse podcast. She was, she was uh, recounting, I think, walking by some statue and going to look at it. And it was of some politician. And the plaque on the front sort of listed off his accomplishments. But the first thing that it listed was that he was a welder. And hmm. she was remarking how important that was that, you know, he wasn't remembered for being a welder. He was remembered for the things he did for the community, mm-hmm. but they chose to lead the description of him as that he was a welder. And, and her observation of why that might've been is that like, it's really important that you, that, that we, everyone like interface with some job, some task 
in which we can't lie. Hmm. I think is how she put it. Um, it's like you can, you can tell yourself a story about how you're good at something, Mm -hmm. but go weld it. Yeah. You know, the, the proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. It's like to actually do something like that physical in the world. I think playing an instrument is another really good example of that to interface with it. And it doesn't respond to your sort of tricks and shenanigans and falsehoods and, um, the fluff that you tell yourself about what you're doing. It's mm-hmm. like you go interface with it. You can't lie to it. You can't trick it. It is what it is. Yeah. And um, so to know how to do something is, is a different thing than to understand how to do something, mm. to, to literally to know it. I mean, it's like it makes me think of the, um, what would the term for this be? So like, isn't is maybe this in the Bible? It's like if you were going to describe two people who had sex, you would say he laid with her and knew her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to know yeah. in the deepest, most intimate sense. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, so back to an idea of, well, this person has more than me. That's unfair. I want that. Mm-hmm. You don't know that. Yeah, you know, you don't in, until you live that life. You don't know that's a life you want. Mm-hmm. From your relative perspective, it seems like that would solve problems for you, but it's most likely that it would actually create more problems hmm. than it solved. Yeah. You, you would have more problems than you do now. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you'd have the money, but you've got a shit ton of problems. Yeah. And you're not capable of solving your problems now, so what makes you think you're going to be any happier? You're just going to be more stressed and angry. Totally. Like more responsibility. Right. <clears throat> With great power comes great responsibility. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's so true. There, there's something in that, that we were saying that, that kind of also remind me of something uh, I read in Talib's book, The Anti-Fragility. Um, oh, yeah. Just I, I, We were talking about this earlier about the, you know, kind of an academia. You know, it's like you have a lot of people teaching subjects that have not actually gone out into the world and... Mm-hmm. and made realize those ideas. And so it's like, what really gives you the authority to speak on something that you have not put into practice? You right. know, it's like someone teaching a business school and not having started a business mm-hmm. or uh, even failed and succeeded at a few. It's like, it's almost better to to listen to somebody who has failed at, you know, multiple businesses, you know, it's like, like Dan, to listen to someone who's never started a business at all ever, you know, it's like, Hmm. Do you think it would be more valuable to talk to someone who started and failed at five businesses mm-hmm. than it would be to talk to someone who has started and succeeded at one? I would totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I experienced that in one sense, like, you know, we started West Lynn and, uh, that's our first coffee shop. And, I mean, it was hard as hell, but it really did well, you know, from the beginning. And so there was a little bit of naivety that came with that with our second shop. <laughs> it's like, this is going to be the same. I'm good at this. Yeah, I'm good at this. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it's the same thing with kids, too. It's like you have one kid, and you're like, <laughs> then you're giving out all this parenting advice. And then you have a second kid, like, oh, oh, yeah, I have the angry, uh, screaming, yelling kid. Right. You know, where your first yeah. might be like... <clears throat> 
I'm such a good parent because my kid everything's going well. Yeah, yeah, my kid doesn't yell or whatever. You know, it's like, but just the, how kids do have different temperaments. You know, oh, so true. I feel like I've, I encountered that a lot. Like somebody has they're they're pregnant with their second, mm-hmm. and they're very naively saying. Well, the first one just slept so well, and, you know, took to breastfeeding straight away, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, we're we're ready. Mm-hmm. And I just always think oh, <laughs> you're so not ready because <laughs> you think you're ready. Uh, you're demonstrating to me how unready you are. Exactly, because it's going to be a whole different beast, and that's what's so amazing about having multiple children too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is they're so different, mm-hmm. so different, and yet. <clears throat> still your blood in the same way, yeah. you know, and, and that tie is exactly the same, but mm-hmm. completely different individuals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like <laughs> going to a, a family counselor who doesn't have kids and family. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, you got a right. lot of theories, but <clears throat> uh, you kind of have a, some practical <laughs> experience with some of that stuff, you know? Right. Well, it makes me think about, there was a <clears throat> McGilchrist in the Master and His Emissary talked about what it means to know someone. Hmm. Um, and he said, you know, it's like, if I have a friend, Sally, I can tell you all about her. I can tell you every, it's like, I, I know her well. I can tell you all kinds of things about her. Mm-hmm. But you're still, you still won't know her. Yeah. Not until you meet her. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because the person you meet is going to be a different person than the one that I know. Yeah. Because who we are is expressed primarily through relationship and attention. And you're going to bring out something different about her than I do. Mm-hmm. And the Sally that you're going to get to know is going to be different than the one that I know. Mm-hmm. There's no substitute, you know, for, for actually knowing someone in like, in like the real world sense, mm-hmm. like in person. Yeah. Well, I even think about that with you and Alice and I's relationship, you know, it's like when you and I are just talking, you know, it's like mm-hmm. completely different. Yeah. You throw Alice in the mix. It's like whole different thing happens completely out. It's like, it's a different Matt, different Michael, different Allison. And then I'm sure whenever you and Allison hang out, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a completely dynamic than the three of us together or you and I together, right. you know, it's just like, so I, I think that's just fascinating that we kind of, in fact, that's probably the great thing about community in general, is that having people that see you differently and can actually reveal reveal something about you to other people that someone would not have known otherwise? You know, yeah. um, I think that's also why it's good to 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 uh, surround yourself—not surround yourself, <laughs> but at least like have people in your life that you disagree with. You know, because they're going to somewhat you know, poke some holes in maybe some of the, the areas that you think you, you think, you know, you know, and if you, if you listen and talk and discuss, it's like, can kind of reveal some things that are like maybe blind spots or, you know, group think or, Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. You'll know yourself better. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? By exposing yourself to people who disagree with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just your reaction to it too. I mean, I think that's really fascinating whenever you come across something that's unknown or is contradictory to what you believe to be true. Mm. It's like, we all have a reaction in some sort. Like it might be a protective, like, like, no, that's not true. 
<laughs> you know, it's like based on my sources, this, you know, it's like, well, have you thought about this? You know, it's like, no, that's not true. <laughs> You're like, okay. <clears throat> yeah. It's similar to the example I laid out earlier where you say, yeah, I feel good about that. And then something inside of you mm-hmm. says, are you sure? I think there's a similar experience when you're getting to know someone new, you know, especially someone new, especially even like maybe a stranger that you just start talking to at a mm. bar or whatever. And you did and, and all of a sudden they say something and you respond in a way that surprises yourself. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you just said, it's like you get aggressive mm-hmm. or defensive about something yeah. in a way that there's some part of you that goes, Whoa, what, are, <laughs> who, who are we now? <laughs> what are we dealing with? Uh-huh. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's a way to like force yourself to interface with the parts of you that, well, that you purposefully hide from and avoid. Mm-hmm. I think the, the Jungian term would be the shadow. Yeah. You're, you're, you're more on the, it exposes that, mm-hmm. opens the door to that. You don't have to get into this, but, uh, I was curious, like, as you're kind of getting out into the dating world or whatever, it's like, do you find that you respond to people differently? Is that, hmm. you know, as far as like, like if someone, each person is a little bit different, you know, not that Matt is like lots of people, but it's just, <laughs> I don't know how to do this like tactically, you know, it's like, I don't want to make you sound like maybe, maybe this is not an area we need to get into, but, but I was kind of curious, like if it does, cause it's something that it's, it's someone like, you have no context for, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, do you find yourself like, Oh, this is who I'm portraying myself to this person, you know? Yeah, definitely. Cause I'll have to say like, just to give you a, Uh like today I was, I was, uh, I had lunch with this guy and, um, and I found myself saying a few things. I was just like, Oh, like, that kind of makes me sound very pretentious. <laughs> you know what? I was just like, yeah. Oh, why am I coming? Why do I feel like I'm coming across as pretentious? You right. know, it's like, it's like maybe I'm sharing too much too fast. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's fascinating to, well, to observe yourself interacting with other people and notice the different versions of yourself that you put out and why that might be. Yeah. And, and also fascinating to get to reflect on that, Mm -hmm. you know, to our earlier conversation about like, you get to do that. Yeah. (laughs) You you have the protected space and security of not dying Mm -hmm. where you get to do that. Um, Oh, so, so, Well, I'll leave that one there. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Leave that thought in my head. <laughs> I ran it through. It didn't pass the filter. <laughs> um, yeah, but we absolutely project some different version of ourselves to everyone. And, you know, I think that I hope for myself, I think maybe we all would, that, well, nobody wants to be duplicitous. Mm-hmm. So I think we would hope that through maturity we can learn how to be more of ourselves mm-hmm. of the same self to everyone we interact with although i think that's an impossibility totally yeah. um and we shouldn't we shouldn't make that a paramount goal but obviously <clears throat> the other side of that 
where I'm completely one person to you and completely some person different <clears throat> to some other group of friends because they value something different. You know, you could be at, at you can be beholden hmm. to <clears throat> what you perceive are other people's expectations, and that's not good. Yeah, almost when you said that, it made me think of like there has to be some sort of cohesion between cells. You know, it's like because right, you do right. like have like you know I'm. I am Michael, the father, I'm Michael, uh, the husband, I'm Michael, the lover, I'm Michael, the boss, coworker, you know, it's like, <laughs> there's all these roles that you fit and it, it does, uh-huh. you do take on, for lack of a better word, different personas, you know? Yeah. And so it would be, it would not be healthy for me to Michael, the coworker, take on Michael, the husband. <laughs> but not only it, would it not be healthy, it wouldn't, like, no one would want that. You know, <laughs> totally. it's like, I don't want you to treat me the way you treat Allison. Like that'd be fucking weird. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> you know? Okay, babe. No. And, yeah. And, and you're, <clears throat> and I don't want you to treat me the way that you treat your staff. And I don't think they would want you to, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. And there's like an intimacy level too. It's like, you know, you know, for, you know, I think so. I mean, well, no, I know I mean, this is kind of just generalization, but there is like, there's a healthy awareness of the intimacy level of, of different relationships, you know, um, and comfortability that people have with, you know, that sort of intimacy. Um, but we are, it's, it is fascinating that we are different people. Like it, I think that's one reason why it's good for whether, uh, maybe extroverts spending time to by themselves, maybe introverts, you know, putting themselves out there in front of people more, you mm-hmm. know, and, and around other people because it is revealing to your, to yourself that they like people mirror back to you. You know, it's like, why is everybody always angry when they talk to me? Well, maybe because you're being a dick, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like people mirror, mirror yourself, mirror yourself back to you. you Yeah. And it's, it's, it's helpful to have that, you know, especially when I think our communities are not as, are so much more fluid now. Like people kind of float in and out of communities where you know, even family now, it's like, you, I, maybe it's cause we also live in a, a big city and stuff like that. But, um, like, uh, I don't know how to say that. Well, I'll just go back to the same, that the other idea of just like, when you don't have somebody who knows you over extended periods of time and can kind of experiencing you over years, you know, it's like, hmm. I mean, you and I've been hanging out for, 11, 10 years. I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Many years, <laughs> a long time, a long time. Yeah. You know, so there's a, there's a consistency that you can tell whenever, Oh, what's going on, man? Like something you seem kind of like off mm. for some reason, you know, it may be off yeah. in a good way or, or off like in a not so good way. You right. Know? Yeah. Because when you first get to know someone, you know them generally, you know them when they're well, mm-hmm. you know, because you experience them when you're out doing things and people are generally in, in their most well state when mm-hmm. they're out doing things. Yeah. You know, but you've known me long enough where you've like, you've saw me, you've seen me at my bottom mm-hmm. and that gives you the opportunity to know what, what, what is true about me that overlaps between Fado Fridays over Guinness, <laughs> yeah. you know, the well version of me, mm-hmm. what overlaps with the unwell version, mm-hmm. like the version that's at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. And that is really to know me, mm-hmm. 
you know, to know what, not just how I am in different situations, but that, what is it? It clarifies mm-hmm. um, what's at the center. Yeah. Well, you're going to go back to the mirroring part. There's also a validation too. It's sort of like, it's like, oh, you have a reference from of me in these different situations. And you're mirroring back to me that I'm in this healthy place, you know, or that I'm having trouble. It's like, like, oh, I can kind of accept that a little bit more because you've seen that span, you know, it's like, um, but maybe also to go to the negative side of that too. I think that's also hard for many people that are around, uh, in communities where they are known over periods of time is like, it's harder for them to change. Like I want to make a change, Mm -hmm. whether like, you know, say, you know, uh, drinking and smoking or something like that. It's like, I want to quit smoking and I want to quit drinking, but your community is in drinking and smoking or something like that. Or it's just say drugs or whatever it might be. It's like, and like, you're wanting to shift out of that. Then it's sort of like your community is sort of like, wait, what the fuck are you doing? You know? (laughs) Well, it's not only that. I mean, So if you, yeah. Okay. So Lewis makes the point that, um, friendship is constituted on a shared activity. Mm -hmm. It's like you're doing something with your, you're, you, you become friends with someone who you're doing something with. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's, let's use the drinking example. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're an alcoholic and you want to quit drinking, well, you're an alcoholic, so drinking is what you do. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be like that's the activity, and yeah. the friends that you make hmm. are shared around that activity. Yeah. And so to quit isn't just to stop drinking. It is. It's it's like everything in your life has to change mm-hmm. because y- your friendships are going to shift. Yeah because you can't do the same activity anymore. And now like the core of the friendship is, is, is fallen out. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you're going to lose all the friends that drink, but you know, you you have to find something new. Mm -hmm. It can be, I, when I was, uh, I was in, I was seeing a therapist for, I had been seeing this therapist for a couple of years. And, um, I think around the time, that I got, I went through my divorce. I can't remember what I was talking to him about, <clears throat> but he made a similar point about how he has seen marriages fail because one, one of the people s- quits smoking. Hmm. And I thought that's strange. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And he made the point that, yeah, I mean, quitting smoking isn't all that big of a deal, but you know, when that's what you do mm-hmm. and one person stops doing it, you're not sharing an activity with that person anymore. You're just like, that's separating. And to the extent that the relationship was already sort of fractured, Mm -hmm. it can completely fracture it. Yeah. Something as small and simple as that just change in habit. Wow. That's frightening. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just to think about like something like as seemingly arbitrary as that, you know, it's like that would, you know, take a relationship and 
and just end it, you know, with, with that. I mean, even in the good parts too, like, I, you know, it's like you, like, uh, I feel like, uh, you see people like, especially in Austin, like a lot of people are move away from their smaller towns because they want to do something different, whether it be art or music or, um, you know, uh, maybe even a different lifestyle or whatever. And it's just like, they need to explore. And I think a lot of people come to Austin to explore and don't feel like they have the freedom, you know, in their hometowns. And obviously this is a huge generalization, but uh, I think I've, I've seen this quite a bit and Austin, there's a little bit more freedom to explore and you're, you, they don't, no one knows you, right? You could be anyone. You could be anyone. Yeah. So you can kind of redefine yourself and there's something I think that's really helpful and good in that. And then maybe you can reenter those other, other things in the future as that different person, but you need some time to kind of solidify these things that you're exploring and thinking about before you can re-enter the old, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so Miguel Christ <clears throat> is writing this new book. I think it's called something about the trouble with things, mm-hmm. which I can't read, wait to read it. It's not out yet. <clears throat> so excited about that. But he makes the point that there are no things. There are only processes and patterns. And I know we pointed this out before on the podcast, but the example that you're laying out there makes me think that, Mm -hmm. you know, often I think people, when they, when they feel stifled or stagnant in need of change, Mm -hmm. this is a very common story that I think we all understand is that like, you know, I I need to move, need to be something else completely new. And I think the idea, the the thing with that is that when you've been somewhere long enough, whether that's a, a city or in a relationship or whatever it is, you understand the patterns mm-hmm. of life and they become so ingrained that it's almost impossible to try to see new patterns. Mm-hmm. And so to remove yourself from those patterns completely, it's almost like a reset back into, I mean, it's kind of thrusting yourself into chaos. True. true. Like thrust yourself into the unknown so that you can start to identify some new patterns, mm-hmm. some new, some new ways of living. Mm. Um, new way of being, new way to discover you. And, and, and that's really self rediscovery. Mm-hmm. I think that's what people are after when they do something like up and move. Mm-hmm. Like I need to rediscover myself. Who am I? Yeah. I know what the patterns tell me that I am. I know who you say I am. I know what the city thinks I am, but it doesn't feel right. I don't feel like I know myself. So there's this urge. I mean, I think it's the same urge to travel. Yeah. It's the same urge that, or you dye know, your hair or, you know, <laughs> yeah. Dye your, yeah. yeah I mean, seriously, was, like even small that things. A, yeah. Subtle reference to, What's that? to someone we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it makes me think of, um, uh, what's the author's name that wrote Moby Dick? Um, uh, totally blanking. Yeah. Well, he starts that whole book off talking about um, how it's like the sea calls to him, mm-hmm. Ishmael. The sea calls to me, and I, I it's like I need to go. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an archetypal story because we need to go. We need to go to the place that we don't know. Mm-hmm. This is what we've been talking about. This yeah, the yeah, place yeah. that you're called that you are called to go. Mm-hmm. Or the, it has the treasure that you need. Is the cave you fear to enter? It's the yeah. it's the dark forest. It's the place that you 
you know, sort of simultaneously don't want to go, but it's also calling your name. Mm-hmm. It's the place of the unknown. That's where you discover yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, even kind of it goes back to a little bit of something we were talking about earlier before the podcast. Like, like we need stress in our life. Like things that kind of like put pressure on us, you know, uh, like the old adage of, uh, you know, a diamond and coal and pressure. You know, it's like, it's like we need things to kind of somewhat kick us out of our, um, our daily routines. You know, it's like, like I'm a fairly routine person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have my systems, I have my things that I do, you know, it's like, and they serve me well. It's really awesome. You know, and then, and it keeps order in my life and especially when there's a lot of chaos around, you know, but there's, a, there's always comes a point where that order no longer serves me and I'm serving the order and that's when it becomes unhealthy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, would you say that's when you started identifying stress? No. Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Stress is a weird word. I feel like we have yeah. co-opted that into something new. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Are you talking about as a society or as yeah. you and I? No, no, no. As a, as a society. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's a very common thing to say. How are you? That. I'm really stressed. Mm-hmm. And we all kind of know what that means. But do we? Yeah. When, everyone, when people say, like, I'm stressed, it's, it, it always comes across as negative. Like, right. Where, like, I think of stress... Well, okay. I need to be, I'm, I'm being a little bit well, too dispassionate here because like, like I do get stressed and it's like, it's hard on my body and yeah. on me, you know? <clears throat> well, stress is hard. Yeah. But then there's a, a way that you could use the word stress where we would say that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to buy, or even in the same instance, if, you, if you're going to build a bridge, mm-hmm. you want that bridge to be stress tested. <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, it was stress tested. Oh, good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> or even what? the people building the bridge to be a little bit stressed. Mm-hmm. Like they are concerned to build something that is going to hold and keep people safe. It's like, you want people to have a certain amount of like <laughs> <That's interesting>. vigilance. <laughs> yeah. You talk to the, you talk to the, um, like the, the contractor mm-hmm. and he's like, you ask him how he's doing. Oh, great. Not an ounce of stress. Everything's great. And you're like, are you taking this seriously? Because a lot of people's lives are going to be on the line. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You also would be concerned if he's just like frantic and crazy. You're like, are you okay? Like, like yeah, that I, wouldn't be good either. I, I don't know if you're like, you're, you're not going to be able to <laughs> pay attention to what needs to be paid attention. You're right. kind of erratic, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. You almost need enough stress to be aware, mm-hmm. but not too much to be, to enter like the fight or flight. Mm-hmm. hypervigilant state mm-hmm. because in both of those extremes, you're going to miss something. Yeah. You need, you need some stimulation, which is going to be stressful. It's going to stress you mm-hmm. in order to be awake enough to, mm. well, to be responsible. Well, there's also tolerance level too. So like, you know, like I've seen this in business things that used to stress me out like 15 years ago mm-hmm. are like small potatoes now. <laughs> totally. Well, it goes back to the idea of like, I, I should be rich like that rich guy. Mm-hmm. Are you, could you handle the stress? Do you have the tolerance for the stress of yeah. owning a 
a 5,000 square foot house with a pool, mm-hmm. you, you, don't, you don't even know the number of things <laughs> that you don't know about that you have to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, like, and I, 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 just, I don't. I would just pay someone to mow the lawn. I'd pay a housekeeper. Like, right. Yeah, it would okay, be totally so, easy. So who's going to pay for... Who's going to pay for that? Like, who's going to make the call? Who's, who's going to schedule call? it? Uh-huh. Oh, I would, I would who's get gonna somebody an- to do who's that. Who's going to answer the questions when <laughs> the, <clears throat> the pool guy and the lawnmower and the maid and uh, have questions? Yeah. And you say, like, you'll hire someone to do that. And it's like, okay, well, they're with you for three years and they leave. A lot of knowledge leaves with right. that person. So how do you onboard the next person? Yeah, you, know? you would have to, <laughs> you'd have to buffer yourself between enough people to where you're just completely out of the picture. And at that point, what does it even mean to have access to this place? It's just like get a hotel room for a weekend. You know? <laughs> yeah, there's that whole idea of like you know you have a relationship with things. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, and at some point you don't have a relationship with the things you own. It's, right, you're so you far don't own removed. them anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's Who was it? I know it was a couple episodes ago. We mm-hmm. talked about that. It was, I think it's Breedlove talked about the idea of property being yes, uh, yeah, not a uh, property is not does not the word property doesn't describe an, a thing or an object. It describes the relationship that you have with it. Yes, yeah. I was I was searching for that. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't grab it. But it's well, and it goes back to this idea of knowing something. If you don't know it, it's not yours, and you can have ownership of it on mm-hmm. paper, but it's not yours. Yeah. You know, that, that house, that pool, that lawn. So, oh, okay. So when I was growing up, it was my responsibility to mow the lawn and I hated it, but I through some, some amount of just like, um, I think I was made to do it so much. I finally got to the point where I said to myself, there's no sense in complaining about this. <laughs> Because that's only making you more more miserable, you know, because I think my dad would say, you know, you can go hang out with your friends Saturday after you mow the lawn. Mm -hmm. And we had a few acres. And, you know, if I if I had a bad attitude about it, that could literally take me all day Uh because you go slowly with things when you have a bad attitude. And so I finally decided I'm going to do a, you know, I'm going to have a good attitude about it. I'm going to get it done because I really want to go rollerblading. And then. You know, I finish, my dad inspects, and he goes, yeah, not good enough here. You missed that spot, whatever. Oh, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but I remember at one point, <clears throat> I had mowed the lawn. I'd gotten off approval, whatever, went and hung out with my friends. I came home, and my mom came home, and she goes, she was walking down the, the yard, and she goes, did you mow today? And I said, yeah. And she goes, this looks really good. Hmm. Like the edging on the sidewalk. Yeah. She's like, that looks great. Mm-hmm. And something clicked in me. Yeah. And I, I felt so good about that, that I started really not only having not a bad attitude, I started really taking pride in it. Hmm. And I would, I got so good at edging. It was so beautiful. You know, it's like the, 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 there's like a little bit of dirt exposed between the sidewalk Uh and the grass and it's all uniform. And it's like, you start to know that lawn. Mm -hmm. Not only you're not, you're, you're not, you're no longer just mowing it. Yeah. Now you're tending to it Mm -hmm. and it starts to become something of an art and the satisfaction that's in that, you know, it, you know, exactly all the places where the, you know, how the dirt is here and how Mm -hmm. the grass is there. And you know it because you've, you've interacted with it at a really deep level. And it's the same with well, everything that we have. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're going to own the house, but you're going to pay someone to do everything. You're not going to know the house and know anything about it. So what's the point in having it? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like people own like multiple houses all over the world and they may spend a week there or not at all or whatever, you know. It's like, well, and that's not to disparage on that idea. No, no like, not at all, yeah. That, that's an awesome thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you should also recognize that that you don't know those things like you could. Mm-hmm. And there's too many things. I mean, most of us have too many things to know all of the things. Yeah. Again, <laughs> we are so phenomenally blessed. Mm-hmm to have more things than we can truly know mm-hmm. and to have the time to contemplate that. Yeah. Which is fascinating because it's not even, it's not necessarily even a socioeconomic type thing. It's sort of, it, there's, there's so many resources available to us, you know, whether it be a park or, you know, a library or there's these things that are available to us that we don't even understand or know we don't have a relationship with. Um, so it's like depending where we are and, you know, maybe our economics, you know, it's like, it's like take advantage of the things that, that are around you and build relationship. I think there's something about that, like with you as a kid, like, and forming that relationship with your lawn <laughs> takes that it's such it, a funny thing to say it, but it it's really true is. it's but it takes you to like, like as you're explaining that too as like i remember as a kid mm-hmm. having that same experience and then like one of the things i still love this today like this is one of my it's so silly but like i love mowing the yard and then it rains right afterwards oh that's such a good feeling what is that? I mean, it is such like Allison just laughs at me because I always get so giddy <laughs> when I have just mowed the yard and it, and it rains either that night or the next day. Yeah. And it's almost like I can feel the grass like, <sighs> well, I think you know, I know there's I something know it to it. Cause another thought that I had about this yeah. idea of knowing the lawn, mm-hmm. one of the things you start to know too is when I tend to it properly, Mm. I start to observe the way that it's growing Mm -hmm. and the way that it's improving over time. It's like week to week. I remember we had, you know, around the house we had St. Augustine, Mm -hmm. but then that sort of faded into whatever natural, not that St. Augustine isn't natural, but like, you know, uh, West hill country grass. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that when I mowed it and did a good job and sort of like, it's like you're you're keeping the grass growing in the right direction. Maybe mm-hmm. I noticed the Saint Augustine expanding and taking over some of the browner grass, mm-hmm. and and so when you mow it and then it rains right after, you're like, it's working. <laughs> totally, it's going in the right direction. Well, you put the fertilizer down, better. and you're like, yeah. you notice like the some of the weeds and stuff like get le- you know go out of the grass, and the grass fills in those. You're spaces. transforming it. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> such a good feeling. Also, I think it it smells better mm-hmm. when it rains right after you mow. Oh yeah, totally. Like I just had Austin mow the yard last week and it was really, it was really, it was one of those, obviously the first time he mowed and there's like, I think I had to like have him do it over like three or four times, yeah. <laughs> but it was great though. It was like, uh, he started on the backyard and he's, he was just going and I was just like, like he was just going back and forth and I was just like, Whoa, that's so cool. Yeah. So I, you know, I could almost feel him kind of getting it. Like he doesn't get it yet. Like right. that moment that you had, it took many, many times of mowing before that thing hit. Before you get it. Before yeah. you get <clears throat> it. Like how many things in life are like that? You have to like put the time and effort into before you get it. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> maybe that's Heather's point about why this politician's first title was welder. 
It's like he gets it. Yeah, something. Oh, what you know? We don't know exactly what it is, but he mm-hmm. gets it. He spent time with something such that he gets it. Yeah, and that actually serves you in other areas of your life. Yeah, yeah. I think that's foundational and fundamental as far as like you need something that you something like that or multiple things like that. You know, uh, I mean, for mo- for me, mowing the yard is also just satisfying because most of the things I work on are so future oriented that whenever I uh, mow the yard, it's like there's this immediate satisfaction, you know, of I did this, it's done today. Yeah. Yeah. Where, um, and it was interesting. I was, I had the guys having lunch with today. was, he said something about, you know, people who mostly work with their minds, it's good for them to rest with their hands. And those who rest, who work with their hands, it's Mm -hmm. good for them to rest with their mind. Oh, that's really good. Who said that? Uh, Mark did. Uh, oh. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, 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 I was like, so true. Like for me, it, it's, it's, it's almost like soothing and restful to mow the yard. So my dad, who's been on, he, he was on like episode two. Or something. <laughs> he's an OG. OG. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's a therapist. He talks mm. to people all day long. And when he gets home, he builds things. Mm. Oh yeah. That's so true. He's like got a whole wood shop now and builds all kinds of things. Always doing it. Yeah. It makes, uh, this is starting to make me think I need to kind of reorient some things. (laughs) 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 Those types of things in my, in my life. I don't think I have very many of those sort of like completion moments, you Mm -hmm. know, or Mm -hmm. work with your hands outside the lawn. (laughs) I mean, that could be good enough. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's very true. I mean, I noticed, uh, you know, I spend a lot of my time on the computer at my job mm-hmm. and, um, I've been starting to take a break, take breaks in the middle of the day and just pick up my guitar and play. Oh, nice. And that's been really restful. Mm. Like it's been a good reset. Yeah. And I think it has something to do with that. It's like, I'm using my hands, mm-hmm. using my hands to create something. Yeah. Man, I think there's a lot to go on here. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, that seems like a natural ending point. It does. I think that's really to know and to be known Mm -hmm. your relationship with things. Mm -hmm. Well, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for coming out to the shores guys. Yeah. Thanks thanks for for listening. Listens too. we've uh, totally now that we have our podcast out on the, (laughs) there's a lot to listen to. Yeah. No, seriously. For those of you hearing us right now, thank, thank you for listening. Yeah. We like, we love doing this and we would do it no matter yeah. <laughs> whether anyone listened or not, but it seems like a special treat that, you know, mm-hmm. there are people who are actually listening. So yeah. cheers to y'all. We love you. Yeah. We love you guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.